This podcast contains adult language and content. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. This happened a few weeks ago. It was so bizarre that I'm still thinking about it every so often. Anyway, I was babysitting my nieces, aged 8 and 10, since my sister was going out to meet a friend of hers at a coffee shop. I offered to babysit my nieces since it would be at her house, and her house was so nice. I also didn't have anything else going on that night, so I decided why not. At first, we just watched movies and played video games together. Later on in the night, I noticed that they hadn't eaten anything, so I asked them if they were even hungry. They both replied, no. Even when I offered to make a quesadilla or something else that they might want, they still replied no. When I finally suggested ordering pizza, they immediately changed their answers and yelled, yes. Of course they would. Ordinarily, ordering pizza is a great idea. Well, It was a bad idea that night. When I called the local pizza hut, I ordered two large pizzas for delivery. Keep in mind that I stepped outside to make this phone call. It was dead silent outside, and I unintentionally made this call rather loudly. I think I may have done this subliminally to put myself at ease since the quietness of the night was so eerie. I only went outside because I noticed a bag in the street and I thought that it was mine or maybe it was something that belonged to one of my nieces. It was just trash when I looked closely, and I assumed that it was the neighbor's trash bag. About 20 minutes went by, and I heard the doorbell ring. It was the Pizza Hut delivery girl. I paid her in cash and took the pizzas to the kitchen, where my nieces were seated. This was when the weird stuff started happening. Not even 10 minutes went by and I heard the doorbell ring again. I was skeptical at first, so I looked out the window, but it was hard to see much of anything by this point since it was dark. I opened the door, only to be greeted by an old man with the pizza box in his hand. He said, Hello, son. I've got the pizza that you ordered. I tried to answer in a way that would divert the situation. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't order pizza, you must have got the wrong address. When I tried to close the door, he grabbed the door handle hard and asked, Are you sure? I firmly replied, Yes, and closed the door. I thought that that was the end of it until later. One of my nieces asked, Why is there a man standing outside of our house? My heart began to pound when I thought that it could be the same old man from earlier. I peeked outside and saw that I was right. He was standing outside of our house with the pizza box still in his hand. I was absolutely livid. I opened the door furiously and yelled at him. I said I was going to call the cops immediately, but he took off running, and I haven't seen him since.
This story happened about a year and a half ago when I was 19. It will always stay with me, as it has given me PTSD and a greater fear of men since it happened. I was in college and had just moved into an apartment with a friend. We found out a few months later that there was improper ventilation leading to humidity. This allowed mold to grow in our bathroom and other spaces. When this was inspected by maintenance, they classified the damage as discoloration. They suggested that we leave the windows open or buy a fan and asked us to stop taking steamy showers. Their passive-aggressive remark about our showers was hilarious since we didn't even enjoy hot showers. We, at most, took lukewarm ones. My friend and I were barely adults. We had never had to deal with such a terrible mold issue. We were constantly buying sprays to clean the ceilings, all the crevices, the tub, etc. We were in perpetual fear of mold inhalation. We found that having this diligent cleaning routine and leaving our window open with the mosquito screen locked helped with the mold the most. This small window that we kept open was the size of an average human head, about nine feet off of the ground. Having a window open was of no concern to us when we were using the bathroom. Even though it was nine feet off the ground, we tried looking in through the window from the outside to make sure that nobody could see in. That being said, I did not predict what would come next. On our front porch, we had some pumpkins and a single white chair that was barely ever used. This will be important for later. Late one night, around 2 a.m., after the humid bathroom had been airing out for a while, I said goodnight to my roommate before using the restroom right before bed. I went to wash my hands and I glanced to the left where the window was ajar as usual. That's when I saw it. Through the pitch blackness of the night outside and in contrast to the blaring cheap bathroom lights, I saw a pale round orb with a greasy mop of dark hair atop it. I cannot explain the feeling that I had. I paused and quickly turned to the right and then spun back around to look at the window again. I saw an arm leaning onto the mosquito screen for support as whoever was outside was scrambling away until they were down and out of sight from the window frame. Without another thought, I found myself running to the front door and yelling, Someone was just looking into our bathroom. On a side note, do not ever chase a perpetrator. No matter what the case, with adrenaline running through you in cases like these, I know it may be hard not to, but please don't. I then heard my roommate yell something in response from the living room while I found myself already at the bottom of the window outside. From where I was standing, I could hear someone shuffling through the wood chips right outside of our apartment building. It was the sound of someone making a hasty escape through the shadows. There was no mistaking it. I couldn't see anybody through the thick trees that were planted right outside my window, so I couldn't pinpoint exactly where he ran off to. I thought about yelling some cheap insult, or maybe a threat, just to scare him, but the waves of shock that I was experiencing completely silenced me. I ran past my roommate, grabbed my phone, and called my mother, who advised me to call the local police on their non-emergency number. I did so while sitting on the patio outside with my self-defense items 
and my roommate. The lady who answered the non-emergency number was annoyed and sounded like she didn't believe what I was saying. She immediately wrote me off when I said that I didn't get a good look at the guy who was looking through our bathroom window. She simply sighed and said that the police would be over to survey the complex and then hung up. My roommate and I were in shock as we sat on the patio in silence. We were discussing what just happened when we saw a cop car turn into an apartment complex the next street up. They pulled in, took the quickest look around, and drove away in less than a minute. This left me feeling defeated. I was angry, so I stood up to examine the area outside of our apartment myself. I didn't see any footprints or markings that were unusual. I even tried standing on the utility boxes outside of my window to see if I could see in. The utility boxes were too narrow at the top for someone any bigger than myself to even stand on, so I knew that standing on those boxes was not how he looked in. I knew from the way that he struggled to get down, he had to have some other way to help him look in from that high up. It was also odd that he darted off without being seen. There are sensor-activated lights around the complex, with one right by our bathroom window. When the sensors are triggered, a bright and blinding light lights up the whole back area and side of our apartment, which is exactly where this occurred. I brainstormed for a second before darting past the sensor. The light didn't go off. When I turned around and walked back to my roommate, that's when the light turned on. I tested it a few times and got the same results. The sensor wasn't triggering very well, which gave me relief in the sense that I felt like I wasn't crazy. I was the only witness to this man looking in, and I felt bad for roping my roommate into this, but I could tell that she did believe me. We headed back to our front porch, briefly stopping on the porch to talk about what we would do if he came back. The first thing we decided to do was keep our window closed from then on. But in our exhausted and overwhelmed teenage minds, we thought we had to give him his just desserts. That was when I joked about grabbing one of our pumpkins and hitting him over the head with it. I stopped dead in my tracks and I asked my roommate, Hey, didn't we have a chair there? The white chair was gone. We looked around, but it was nowhere to be found. I gasped and I nearly fell to my knees. That's how he did it. My roommate hurried back to look through her phone since she remembered having a food delivery earlier that day that had photo confirmation. Approximately four hours earlier, the chair was there in the photo. My roommate's order was in a bag at our door, sitting directly on the white chair next to our pumpkins. I immediately posted the picture to social media sites, asking for help finding this distinct chair. It felt like our last hope in finding the creep. We felt disgusted and shocked. I left three voice messages with the apartment complex the next day, informing them of the incident, and I let them know that they needed to come up with a solution for the issues with the ventilation in our apartment. No one ever got back to me, which was odd, since they always did previously. I felt like everybody except for my roommate had failed me. I did everything that I could, but I never received any closure. I received tips from other college girls in the same area telling me of similar experiences, 
Some of them, unfortunately, had a fuller view of a greasy, older man. Recently, there have been numerous reports of assaults and peeping toms in my general area. Each description I hear, it matches the glimpse of the man that I saw. Even with the increase in activity, the police have never caught anyone connected to these cases. I hope everyone living in a similar environment makes sure to at least close their shower curtains to shield themselves. If your bathroom has a window, make sure to close it when the bathroom is in use. I wish I could buy a security camera, but I know management wouldn't allow it. I'm moving out soon anyway, so I'm looking forward to finally getting some solace and leaving this behind me. To the greasy creep who I stared at eye to eye, for your sake, I hope we never meet again. Back in the days when I was grappling with debt, I constantly yearned for a more effective solution to clear it off. Entering into debt was a breeze, but climbing out of that financial pit, that was an uphill battle. The weight of debt-induced stress and pressure is no joke. I was making myself sick, consumed with worry about finding a way out. It was a genuine struggle. But let me shed some light on my experience navigating the complexities of falling into debt and successfully clawing my way back out. Debt Consolidation PDS Debt has customized options for anyone struggling with credit cards, personal loans, collections, or medical bills. If you're making payments every month on your debt and your balances aren't going down, this is the program for you. PDS Debt rolls all of your payments into one low monthly payment. Everyone with $10,000 or more in eligible debt qualifies, and there's no minimum credit score required. Bad and fair credit accepted. Save thousands on interest and fees. Pay off your debt in a fraction of the time. PDS Debt is a great solution for our listeners. Right now, PDS Debt is offering a free debt analysis. It only takes 30 seconds. Head over to pdsdebt.com meet to get your free debt assessment today. That's pdsdebt.com meet for your free assessment. pdsdebt.com meet. Now back to the show. In 2018, I lived with my partner and my German shepherd in the Humboldt Park neighborhood of Chicago. I was 33 years old, and our apartment was on the fourth floor of a walk-up building. It was a very typical low-budget Chicago rental in a neighborhood that was going through some changes. The layout of our building is going to matter in this story, so I need to explain that. Our building has a total of 12 units. My unit and the three below me shared the front entrance, while the other eight units utilized a second entrance. All 12 apartments were connected via back porches. Some stairs led to the shared walkway and a rear gate, which also led to an alley. From the front stairwell, there are windows on each porch that are visible from the landing. The back door of my apartment was visible through the window on my back porch. Now, we're on good terms with our neighbors, especially those who lived directly below us and shared an entrance with us. My partner was in a touring band at the time. Sometimes they would leave for the weekend, but sometimes they would leave for weeks at a time. 
It was a scary thing for me, because I've experienced assault, and I was stalked by an ex in my teens and twenties. I always worried that something would tip him off and he would start stalking me again. A little less than a month before a two-week tour my partner was about to head out on, I received a creepy message on Facebook from that same stalker ex, and it came from yet another new account. Then, about a week after that, my car was broken into. Things were thrown around, and the glove box was emptied, but the only thing that was taken was a bag of dog treats. I had about $20 in coins in the compartment between the seats, but the money was left behind, so this felt personal. I was on high alert after that, and I was very scared about the time that I had been left alone during the tour. My partner was kind of irritated with me and the situation. They determined that these incidents were unrelated. My partner didn't think that I was experiencing any direct threats, and car break-ins are extremely common in Chicago. Honestly, it's happened to me about 15 times. Car break-ins are so frequent that police usually just take the report over the phone. They don't even come out to the scene. When my partner left for his tour, I set up cameras and bought door braces for my front and back doors. I became completely nocturnal, unable to sleep at night. My poor dog developed stomach and digestive issues since he was picking up on my stress level. This meant that I was taking her down all four flights of stairs so that she could go blast her bowels six or seven times a night. Each time I took her out, I had the distinct prickly, crawling sensation of being watched. It got to the point where I couldn't tell what was genuine and what was conjured up in my fear and paranoia. My dog's stomach issues lasted an unusually long time, about three or four days, so I was going in and out the main door a lot. I was feeling very scared when I noticed that some of my neighbors weren't pulling the entry door all the way closed to engage the lock. I mentioned it to my downstairs neighbor one day, including that I wanted to be extra careful because of said stalker. He was supportive and said that he would mention it to the other neighbors if he saw them and I noticed that the door was locked more frequently after that. My partner returned home at around 11 a.m. on a Sunday. At about 8.30 that same morning, my first-floor neighbor's place was burglarized. He was a metalhead dude who lived alone, collected instruments, and sold weed and psychedelics. I guess he went out for breakfast and left his door unlocked while he was gone. Someone had come in through the entrance, found his door unlocked, and went into his apartment. They had eaten the leftovers in his fridge and took a coat and pair of boots, leaving a filthy coat and pair of boots behind. They also took his college diploma, but left $500 in the cabinet where it was. All of his expensive musical instruments and mixing equipment and the drugs were left behind, but a set of keys were taken. The keys were to his apartment the front door, and the back gate. My neighbors ran into each other right after the break-end, and the second-floor neighbor said that I needed to be told what happened due to my stalker situation. So my metalhead neighbor came up to let me know what happened. My partner had just gotten home from his tour when he knocked on the front door. This knock was unexpected, so I jumped out of my skin when I looked through the peephole. 
I recognized the metalhead neighbor, so I opened the door. The three of us stood on the stairs at my front door while he told us about the break-in. We talked for about 15 to 20 minutes, and while we were talking, we heard the front door open and close below us, but thought that it was nothing. Then we saw a man climbing up my back porch steps to my back door through the window. There was no other apartment that he could have been going to, and he had to walk past all 11 units to make his way to mine. The man was not my stalker, though. I didn't recognize him, but his image is forever burned into my mind. He was wearing flashy, black-and-white high-top sneakers, which weren't the shoes that he had stolen from downstairs, and his black coat was oversized and hanging off his shoulders. We locked eyes through the window, and he froze halfway up the stairs to my back porch. He slowly took a cell phone out of his pocket and called someone as he turned around halfway up the steps. He walked back down the stairs in slow motion. He was pretending to be nonchalant, but it came off as artificial. Then he bolted away in a sprint as soon as he hit the porch below mine. My neighbor ran downstairs and dialed 911. My partner and I ran through the apartment to the back porch and saw a sedan in a windowless van pull out from the sketchy building two doors down. Both cars floored it out of the alley, but we didn't get the plates. Even if we did, the cops said that it wouldn't have mattered as there wasn't any crime committed. They had nothing concrete to go on that would justify stopping them. They very condescendingly explained this to me as they took my statement. My neighbor was the one who made the call and filed the report, so my partner and I were only considered witnesses. For a long time, the thing that scared me the most was the tool that my neighbor found when he went running downstairs. It was a two-by-four piece of wood, but about six inches of it had been whittled to a handle. It looked like a paddle, but I'm pretty sure it was a ram for the door jam. When I took a closer look at the door afterward, it looked like the frame had been repaired, like it had been broken into before. I'm so glad that we caught them before they could catch me off guard. They seemed to have aborted the plan when they saw my neighbor, my partner, and me talking. I suspect that they had been watching me, especially while I was taking my dog out, and figured that I was alone. It was pure coincidence that my partner had gotten home 30 minutes before this happened. I feel that we could have been horribly injured or worse had we been inside and they had gotten the jump on us. Nothing ever came of it. My landlord refused to change the locks, but he agreed to let us out of our lease. I moved out of Chicago and now have added a younger dog to our family who I'm training to do some defensive bite work. My current resident is surrounded by cameras and floodlights, and I'm surrounded by wingnut neighbors. So to whoever was on my back porch, I'm not sure what you had planned, but let's not meet. I love to run. When I was in the second grade, I participated in my first 5K, and I've been hooked ever since. Sadly. I also live in Arizona, where the summer highs regularly reach 117 degrees. Since the asphalt retains all of that heat throughout the day and holds it for hours after sunset, my only option is to run early in the morning. 
very early since I'm a distance runner. Another thing about Arizona is that during the monsoon season, it floods pretty badly. As such, Phoenix has a pretty decent sewer system that lines many of our streets. I came to enjoy these early mornings, sometimes waking up as early as 4 a.m. to run 13 miles before work. The sun typically rises just before 5.30 at the peak of summer, so during my runs, I had the joy of watching the world as it shifted from late night to early morning. I loved watching and listening to the natural world as animals had some time to play while the cars were still off of the roads. Over the years, I've encountered all sorts of wild animals, coyotes, foxes, bobcats, skunks, rattlesnakes, etc. I've gotten used to the howls, the growls, and the rattles. I was pretty used to hearing digging and other noises that these creatures would make as well. I live in South Chandler, where there's still a lot of undeveloped land. I always keep the animals in mind when I run, giving them the distance that they ask for. One day, after getting my wife into the habit of running in the mornings, we woke up at four to get our day started. We were living in an apartment complex. Behind our complex, there was a big empty lot a few acres in size. Beyond this lot was a nice park that we liked to use as a spot where we started and finished our run. Just like any other morning, we left our complex and headed towards the lot. As we approached the lot, we heard a sound. It sounded like the earth was shuffling, so I thought that maybe an animal was burrowing or something. But something was different about the rhythm of this sound. It almost sounded intentional, regular, or patterned. My wife and I quieted down and softened our steps as we curiously continued through the lot. We were able to determine that the sound was coming from just beyond the sidewalk right below the vacant lot in a storm drain. When the sound became more clear, I realized that it was the sound of shoveling. A mix of curiosity and disbelief in hearing this sound propelled us forward to look into the sewer. We had to see if we were actually hearing shoveling or maybe an animal digging. As we approached, suddenly the sound stopped. And before we could stop, we saw two angry eyes turn to look at us from below. Those eyes illuminated by nearby streetlights are something that I'll never forget. They were blue, intense, mean, and undeniably human. My wife and I sprinted away, running faster than we ever had, even in our prime. My legs carried me until I felt the sickly iron feeling in my lungs, and then some. I pulled my wife along until we couldn't run any further. We cut the run short and went back home earlier than usual that day and kept replaying it in our heads. We kept telling ourselves it must have been some shared delusion or something. Surely there aren't people in the sewers digging in the early morning hours, right? Well, a few months later, my wife was taking out the trash at around 9 p.m., it was only about a three-minute walk to and from the bin. My wife occasionally liked to walk around our complex a bit, so it was never unusual for her to take a bit longer to return. However, that night, she came back immediately. She was frightened, panicked, and out of breath. She had seen something behind the trash. 
She thought that it was possibly a bag that missed the bin, but as she approached and went to reach for it, she watched it lurch to life. We called the cops in an attempt to tell them what she saw. She wasn't wearing her glasses that night, and she's someone who needs glasses, so after they were informed of this detail, they were a bit incredulous. They came out to do a check, and within minutes of arriving, they found a man hiding in the bushes outside of a neighboring apartment building. We watched as they cuffed him and took him away. He turned to us, and I saw those same intense blue eyes that I saw months ago during my early morning run. They were just as blue and furious as ever. I don't think I'll ever know just what that man was digging for that morning, nor will I know why he was at our apartment complex. But to the man with those blue eyes, please, let's never meet again. Unwrap the first of many presents this season with Holidays on the House from DraftKings Casino. With hundreds of games, prizes, and promos, DraftKings Casino has everything on your list. Right now, new players who play $5 get $100 instantly in casino credits. So what are you waiting for? Cozy up with all the classics like slots, blackjack, and roulette. Or play exclusive games that you'll only find at DraftKings Casino to feel the holiday cheer all season long. Download the DraftKings Casino app now and sign up with promo code MEAT and play $5 to get $100 in casino credits. That's promo code MEAT only at DraftKings Casino. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. 21 plus. Physically present in Connecticut, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia only. Void in Ontario. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. One per opted in customer. $5 wager required. Max $100 in casino credit awarded, which require one-time playthrough within seven days. Terms at casino.draftkings.com slash holidays on the house. Restrictions apply. Now back to the show. This happened a couple of months ago. I work from home, so I often order my groceries through Instacart so that I can make dinner when I get off. That day, I had placed an order with about 50 items on it. My shopper seemed okay while she was completing the order. She made sure that she had good replacements for me and communicated well as she was shopping. She arrived at my apartment while I was still working. My apartment is pretty secure, so it's kind of confusing to drive into unless you're a resident. So my boyfriend met her downstairs to help her. She was very rude immediately. She barked at my boyfriend. You need to help me. There are a lot of items. My boyfriend helped the shopper unload some of the groceries, and then they rode up the elevator to bring the first trip of groceries up. He came inside our apartment and put down what they had brought up while the shopper went back down to get more. Then he got back into the elevator to go down to help with the rest. On his way down, he could hear her throwing our groceries on the ground. My boyfriend stepped off of the elevator, and she was walking away. She scoffed. All this for a $6 tip? 
This made my boyfriend angry, so he told me what happened when he came back up to our apartment. He told me to leave a bad review. I was upset when I heard about her remark, so I sent her a message through the shopping app and said, I finalize my tips accordingly after my order is delivered, so for you to complain about not getting enough tip is exactly why you're not getting a good tip. This was a mistake. I still regret sending that message to this day. I was just blowing off steam and I never imagined what it would turn into. A couple of minutes later, there was a knock at the door. I was still working, so my boyfriend opened the door. The girl came up to the apartment because of the message I had sent. She said, I don't care about the money. I didn't say that. My boyfriend replied, I heard what you said, and you were throwing our groceries on the ground. She began yelling at him, so I told him to close the door, and he did. We have a ring camera, so after closing the door, he saw her pick up the trash can outside of our door. She held it on top of her head as she paced back and forth while screaming. She then proceeded to throw our trash can down the hallway. She was making it clear that she was not going to leave our apartment. My boyfriend opened the door and told her to leave, but she refused. He then showed her a gun that he had tucked in his waistband of his pants and said, You have to leave. She taunted, Shoot me. Just shoot me. I yelled at my boyfriend to close the door and immediately scolded him because that was completely unnecessary. I warned him, She's going to call the cops. And I was right. She did. About 20 minutes later, the cops showed up at our door. We explained what happened, but the cops said my boyfriend didn't do anything wrong, and they issued a trespass warning to her. My anger towards my boyfriend faded after that, but I was terrified that she would come back for revenge. We don't live in a very safe area, and I've heard way too many true crime stories to not think the worst. The police report had her name, which differed from the name listed on the shopping app. My boyfriend and I googled her, and there were a lot of public records that came up. Last year, she was arrested for criminal trespassing and damaging property. She also had assault charges. I was so scared this girl was going to come back that I didn't leave my apartment for days. I was worried that she was going to be waiting in the parking lot for me or my boyfriend. It's been about two months, and we haven't had any more trouble. But just in case, Instacart shopper, please, let's never meet again. I'm in university right now, but this happened when I was staying with my parents at their house for the summer. I was hanging out with one of my friends and we decided to go to a party. I wound up meeting this guy around my age while we were there. We got to talking and we were having fun, but it wasn't anything serious. Or so I thought. We exchanged phone numbers and hung out a couple of times, but he became incredibly clingy right from the start, so I decided to distance myself in hopes that he would get the hint and back off. Well, he didn't. When I stopped responding to him, he sent me over 100 messages, with each message becoming increasingly aggressive as time went on. Keep in mind that it had been less than two weeks since we first met. I finally responded, and I told him that he needed to chill out. He appeared to calm down a bit after I finally responded, but then he asked for a phone call. 
I agreed, and we talked for a while. He told me that he couldn't stop thinking about me. He said that I was the best thing that ever happened to him. He said a bunch of stuff that was way too intense to say to somebody you barely know. I tried to let him down gently, reminding him that I'm only home for the summer and I was not looking for anything serious beyond a fling. But that only made him angrier. He started yelling at me, insulting me, and he called me a slut. It was basically a complete 180 from the way he had been talking to me mere minutes ago. Then all of a sudden, the phone went silent. After the pause, he said in this quiet voice, You better get ready, because I'm coming for you. And then he hung up the phone. This was very frightening, because he knew that my parents were out of town for the week and that I was staying in their house, all alone. However, he didn't know where my parents' house was because I was always the one driving, and luckily he didn't know my friend that I went to the party with either, so I thought he had no way of figuring it out. Regardless, I locked all of the doors and shut the blinds just in case. After a while, maybe an hour or so, I fell asleep. When I woke up, I looked at my phone and I saw a notification on my lock screen. It was from the Ring app. It was indicating that there had been movement on my parents' camera. I opened the app to access the footage and it was him. When you watch the footage, you can clearly see a weapon in the guy's hand. When he noticed the camera, however, he left. I immediately blocked him on everything and reported the incident. I have no idea what he had planned to do once he got here, but it was terrifying to realize that he had come over when I was asleep, defenseless, and completely unaware of his presence. As I would later find out, he was able to get my address from my phone number. Apparently, he googled it, and the search results generated my dad's name as the registered owner of the phone number, along with my parents' home address. Since I'm on my parents' phone plan, I guess it shows that I still live at their address. This revelation was horrifying, as I never knew my phone number could reveal my home address. I'm still extremely upset that this kind of private information is on the internet for anyone to find. It's incredibly dangerous that websites will just give this information away to anyone who has your number. Please learn from my mistakes and do not give anyone your phone number unless you trust them. I found out that you can get a free Google Voice number to text and call people, and that number can't be traced so easily. My advice is to use a disposable number for anyone that you're talking to that you meet informally, in person or online. I still can't sleep at night, and hopefully this never happens to anyone else. When I was 18 and newly graduated, I ran into some issues while attempting to enroll in college. I was also having a hard time finding a job in my area, which led to me having to seek assistance at a job center. They determined that I was too shy to succeed in interviews and placed me in a group that was supposed to teach interview skills to fix that. The group ended up ultimately being a complete waste of time. I honestly think that they just put me in the wrong group or maybe needed an extra member and made an excuse to throw me into that group so they would have an adequate headcount. The other group members didn't do much to help my shyness since they were all men who were at least a few decades older than me. 
I didn't have anything in common with them. Unfortunately, I ended up gaining the attention of one of the members that I wanted nothing to do with. Now, I don't remember the man's name, but I think it was something common, like John, so that's what we'll call him. John immediately got off on the wrong foot with the rest of the group when he interrupted the instructor during the instructions to the course. As the instructor was talking, John stated that it was useless for him to be there since he was planning on retiring in a few years. John also said that no one would want to hire someone who had spent over 10 years in prison. When his interruption didn't get him the reaction that he wanted, he waited until we had been given paperwork to complete before turning to the man next to him and loudly explaining that he was in prison for beating his ex-wife. He called her some names and said that she was a liar. He said he never put a hand on her. He said that she didn't even have any bruises on her at the trial or any evidence of injury, but because she was a woman, the judge automatically believed her and sent him to jail. This immediately set me on edge. I'm not an expert when it comes to the law, but I watch true crime shows and documentaries. I have never heard of a sentence of over 10 years for a single battery charge, especially one that supposedly never happened or didn't leave visible injuries. Either John was lying and had severely beaten his wife, or he had been arrested on other charges and was covering up what he actually went to prison for. I immediately decided that I wanted nothing to do with him, regardless of which one it was. I wanted to avoid interacting with him as much as possible, outside of polite hellos and passing him things if asked. Like I said before, I didn't interact much with the other group members at all due to the age gap between me and them. I would attend the first half of the meeting, then spend the dinner break in the library, while the men all snuck off to the pub, and then I went home immediately after the second half was over. Since the pub and library were in opposite directions from each other, and couldn't be seen from the building where the group met, there should have been no way for them to know where I had gone during our break. This made what happened next pretty worrying. About halfway through the course, there was a day when I bumped into a friend on our dinner break. I decided to put off visiting the library until the course was over for the day to catch up with my friend instead. When I got around to going to the library, I spent at least 15 minutes there before heading to the desk to check out my books. I ended up being drawn into a conversation with the librarian, who had noticed that I was checking out books related to a franchise that he also enjoyed. There were only a handful of other people in the library, so I didn't see anything wrong with talking to a friendly man around my age who shared my interests after eight hours of boredom and paperwork. We had been talking for a bit when he suddenly glanced over my shoulder, looking confused and concerned. He was just opening his mouth to say something when someone behind me grabbed me by my shoulders. My friends and family know that I hate having my shoulders touched without warning and would never have done that to me. So I immediately knew that whoever was touching me was a stranger. I knocked their hands away while turning around and backing up into the librarian's desk. I spun around to see that it was John. He was standing directly behind me with this huge smile on his face. As soon as I turned around, 
he made a joke about knowing that he would find me in the library since he knew I practically lived here. Then he continued chattering at me as if we were close friends. I was completely confused. It was obvious that John hadn't just coincidentally bumped into me, but from the way that he was talking, he was trying to make it seem like he had. He was left behind while the group was heading out because he had filled out his paperwork incorrectly. As I mentioned before, the library wasn't visible from the building where our meetings were, so he shouldn't have had any way of seeing or knowing where I had gone. And it had also been half an hour since I left that building. The only way that it made sense for him to know, to look for me at the library, and joke that I had practically lived there, would be if he had somehow learned where I was going during our dinner breaks. What made that even stranger was the fact that John had never shown any interest in me during the group sessions. He mostly ignored me the way that I ignored him, unless we were forced to interact for whatever reason. So, why was he following me into other buildings to start conversations out of nowhere, acting like we were close? While John was still talking, the librarian leaned in to ask if I knew him since he had picked up on my negative reaction to being touched by him. I briefly explained the situation to him, and he politely asked John to leave me alone and leave the building. John refused and tried to tell the man that we were friends, completely ignoring the fact that I had just said that we weren't. When the librarian asked John to leave for a second time, he outright told him that harassing other customers wasn't acceptable, and he would be removed from the building if he refused to leave. John smiled and agreed to leave, in a tone that people typically use when humoring a child before walking away. He then very obviously stationed himself right outside the doors, waiting for me to leave. The librarian was concerned by this and asked me for the full story of what was going on, so I told him, including my suspicions that John had been following me around without my knowledge. He suggested that I stay in the library until his break so that he could walk me to my bus stop to make sure that John left me alone, but it would be several hours before he could take his break. If I had waited, I wouldn't have gotten home in time to change and head to another meeting that I had later in the evening. When I let him know I had to go, he asked me to at least come in the next time I was around to let him know that I was safe as he reluctantly watched me leave. John immediately stepped into my personal space when I got outside. He asked what the librarian's problem was, still acting like we were friends. I tried to walk around him without engaging with him, to head to the bus station to go home, but he grabbed me by my arm and reminded me that there was a closer bus stop for our bus. When I told him that we weren't getting on the same bus, since I had never seen him on the same bus as me, he told me where he lived, which was in fact on the same bus route as me. Although I was still tempted to walk away and go to the station, it was very clear that he was going to follow me if I did, because he still had a hold of my arm. He was refusing to let go when I tried to pull away. This was worrisome, as there were several dark alleys on the way that I had no intention of going anywhere near while in his company. When I agreed to go to the closer bus stop, he let go of me and started walking at my side, chattering away like we were good friends. John kept walking when we reached the bus stop. I thought that it was odd that he kept walking, but I was hoping that 
It was my lack of response to anything that he was saying that made him give up. I was hoping that he decided to leave me alone or that he had mixed up that bus stop with another one further along or something. Just as I was considering running while his back was turned, he came back, frowning as if he thought that I was going to continue following him. He approached me and said, I thought we were going for coffee together. Shocked, I bluntly told him, no. He kept pushing, trying to convince me that I had to agree to go with him. And when that didn't work, he switched tactics and claimed that I mentioned wanting some coffee while leaving our meeting earlier. He said that when he heard me say that, he thought that we could go together. This was an obvious lie since I don't drink coffee, and I told him so. John reacted to this by saying that I didn't have to get coffee and just kept pushing me to go to a cafe with him. I firmly told him no, which he interpreted as me not wanting to go somewhere public. His solution was to invite me to his flat. If that wasn't weird enough, he told me that if there was a naked girl on the couch in his flat when we got there, it was just his 18-year-old daughter. Because 18-year-olds totally lounge around naked in front of their parents, right? Gross. Other people at the stop were staring at us, so I took the opportunity to firmly tell John that I did not want to go to his flat. I reminded him that I was 18 and I asked him to leave me alone. He completely ignored me and claimed that I was lying about my age. He insisted that I was at least 29, which was odd since most people at the time still mistook me for being in my early teens at first glance. The bus arrived at that moment and I got on as quickly as possible, thinking that I would be safe from then on. The driver would throw him off if need be. But no. When I sat in an aisle seat to prevent John from sitting next to me, he physically shoved me across the seat, pinning me against the window. After he did this, I could barely move since he pressed his knees up against the seat in front of him. He did this to ensure that I had no room to get past him unless he allowed it. The only way for me to get out was to straddle his lap since the surrounding seats were occupied. I couldn't climb over to another seat or anything. I loudly told him to move, but he ignored me and continued trying to convince me to come to his flat. A few passengers gave me uncomfortable looks as I tried to make eye contact with some of them in hopes that they would help me. But everyone would just look away, as if they hadn't noticed or suddenly had become very interested in their phone screens. I spent the ride home huddled against the window trying to touch him as little as possible, and I was ignored again when I shouted at him to stop touching me because he kept putting his hand on my thigh, as high up as he could get without directly groping me. No one did anything about it, but he stopped touching me after I shouted. He had also given up on convincing me to go to his flat, but when we came up to the block that his apartment was on, he pointed it out to me, physically turning my face towards it when I refused to look. He told me his apartment number and then tried to kiss me on my cheek, which I dodged. When the bus set off again, several people started loudly talking about how disgusting he was, saying that men like him should be reported. The other passengers talked amongst themselves about this while refusing to look in my direction as I was shaking and seething in my seat. Other than an awkward, uh, are you alright? 
from the driver, just as I was about to step off the bus, no one even bothered to check on me. As soon as I got home, I emailed the instructor, telling her that I wanted to switch groups and never see John again, explaining what he had done. She read it, but ignored it for an entire week. I sent a follow-up, threatening to get the police involved if they forced me to interact with that man again, and the solution was to release me from the course early, essentially kicking me out as if I were the problem. I bumped into John not long afterward, and he tried to ask me why I haven't been attending the group anymore. He admitted that he had asked the instructor, but they refused to tell him. I didn't even respond to him, and managed to get away and lose him in a crowd. I've seen him a few times in passing in the recent years, but fortunately, he has never noticed me or approached me again. I hope it stays that way. Thanks for listening. Make sure you stick around after the music for your extended ad-free version of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, if you're a patron. If you'd like to sign up, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast to sign up and support the show today. You'll get access to all kinds of bonus content, hours upon hours. This week you have heard Creepy Pizza Delivery by Tears of Ashes, Repetitive Peeping Tom by Mimi Throwaway 101. I Still Wonder What Could Have Happened by No Donut 487. The Underground Man by Fred and Bell, Crazy Instacart Shopper by Anonymous, I Recorded the Moment a Guy Came to My House by Pity42, and finally, John the Job Center Stalker by Asphodel2020. All of the stories you heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. As always, if you have a story to share, make sure you send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. Make sure you check out the new episodes of my other podcasts like Odd Trails, my true paranormal podcast, and the Old Time Radiocast, both at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you guys next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet. Everyone stay safe.